Welcome to CU Anschutz 360, a podcast about the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. We feature faculty, staff, and students and their interesting and innovative work. I'm Shauna Matthews, a contributor in the Office of Communications at CU Anschutz. Like most of you, I'm working from home, so if there are any sound quality issues or barking dogs or ringing doorbells, please forgive the disruption. We're all kind of figuring this out together. So to that end, today I'm talking with Dr. Lee Newman. Dr. Newman is a professor in the Departments of Environmental and Occupational Health and Epidemiology at the Colorado School of Public Health, as well as a professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary Sciences and Critical Care Medicine at CU Anschutz. He is the founding director of the Center for Health, Work, and Environment, as well as the Mountain and Plains Education and Research Center. He co-founded HealthLinks in the certificate program in total worker health through the Colorado School of Public Health. He was also the founding president and CEO of Axion Health Incorporated. Dr. Newman, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Happy to be here. So when we first chatted, you said that you were busy setting up your team to work remotely. Can you tell me a little bit what that process has looked like? Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was an abrupt uh, transition, like uh, many of us. Yeah. We were fortunate in that we had a number of our team who were already on a, a flex work policy where they were working from home uh, at least a day a week. And some people have been working remotely for a number of years, and you know, just remind everybody, this is not a new concept. People have been uh, working from home offices for uh, for a long time, but now we're all thrust uh, into this in environment, uh, um, you know, whether we liked it or not. Um, the um, the process has been because of the speed with which we've had to do it has been messy, uh, and uh, uh, but uh, we we benefited from having uh, people who have done it for a while or who have done it in previous jobs who were able to help others to uh, to cope with it. That makes sense. So not to put you on the spot, but we were hoping you could show us around your office so we could kind of get a glimpse of what. Uh, you know, maybe tips on how to improve our office ergonomics a little bit. Uh, sure, no, I'd be happy to. Um, I, I, I should tell you though that uh, that you know part of this is um, about your office ergonomics, but there's a whole lot more to it, which I'm sure we'll get into. But but since you asked, let me. I'll just take you on a little uh, mini tour and tell me if you can see what's going on. So it's pretty simple. I you know I I have a desk here. I have uh, I've got myself a large monitor which uh, I'm able to um, uh, you know, adjust to the height that's right for me. And if you, if you look at uh, my height in relation to this, uh, I wanna be uh, having my eyes uh, set so that I'm looking at about the top third of that screen. Uh, I've got a place where I can uh, hold up my documents. I've got a, a, a keyboard tray. I have an ergonomic chair, uh, which is uh, adjustable as well. And, uh, and I've got my lighting set so that, um, you know, the other thing that people often overlook is that they may be in a space that has too much glare. And so you actually want more diffuse light uh, and, uh, and not a lot of glare. So even though there's a window behind me, I keep the shade uh, down on that. So some of the principles of, uh, of an ergonomic uh, office uh, set up with a computer workstation, uh, I just described to you. And, uh, you know, so the physical con considerations are getting the getting the chair right, uh, getting the height of your of your keyboard right, uh, getting uh, the right kind of monitor and the monitor height, uh, so that uh, you don't get the uh, the back strain, the neck strain, and the uh, and the wrist repetitive motion mm -hmm. problems. Just as a few pointers. 
yeah, those are all really good tips. So you're also, you direct one of the CDC's six total health centers of excellence. So that kind of sounds like something that we could all use right now, total worker health. Can you tell me about that and how you can apply that to working remotely? Sure. So, uh, so total worker health is, uh, it's, it's a pretty simple concept that's been around for about the last decade. Uh, and uh, as one of the centers of excellence, our focus has been on having people understand that uh, having people safe on the job is number one. But at the same time, your job can be set up in a way that it promotes better health overall. So it's about keeping you safe on your job. So like we just described the office ergonomics, but it's also about considering the, uh, the other health factors that impact our ability to do our work well and also to lead the rest of our lives well. Uh, we think about wellness programs, for example. That's one component of, uh, of a total worker health approach in the workplace as well as having a safety program that allows us to get the ergonomics right, et cetera. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of our interest there has been on addressing what uh, most employers and most employees would say are the most pressing issues, which are around um, workplace stress and other stressors in their life. Um, mental health, behavioral health issues in the workplace are a significant issue. And there are things that we as employers can do, as leaders, as managers can do, uh, to um, to help ourselves and also help our coworkers and our employees. That's really great. Kind of, yeah, making sure that you are able to do the work and as that you enjoy the work at the same time. Right, you need to have both both pieces in place. So I have several friends in academia, and it seems uh, right now that there's kind of a sense everyone feels like they should be incredibly productive right now. Finally, writing the paper, working on figures, you know, getting their next grant together. And at the same time, there's kind of a sense of paralysis. So what can you, what can you say about that? Yeah, um, the, the most important thing I can say is give yourself a break. Uh, we're at a time right now of, uh, of probably unprecedented, in most of our lives, unprecedented uh, stress. And we know that our cognitive abilities, our ability to, to focus and think clearly uh, is impaired when we're experiencing stress. And that's applying to, to us as individuals as well as to the rest of our teams. So the first thing that you can do is to uh, not make those kinds of assumptions that, oh boy, now I can really crank it out. Sure. Um, because in fact, we're all living with a level of, of chaos, distraction, and uncertainty that is really unprecedented for most of us. And we don't we, we, we have this tendency to think that, oh, well, we're tough and we can do this. And in fact, this is a setting where um, that's not even the message that you should be conveying to your coworkers or to, um, or to the people who report to you. This is a time to be um, uh, being kind to ourselves, being kind to each other, uh, and uh, to uh, work with as high a level of empathy as possible. Um, Getting the morale right in a group right now is much more important than getting the productivity right. The productivity will follow. So speaking of chaos, distraction, and uncertainty, uh, do you have any tips for working from home when kids are around? Well, I don't have to personally um, cope with that anymore. I have the distraction of having kids who are grown and right now are 
both doctors working in ICUs taking care of COVID patients. That's my distraction. Um, but many of the people in our group, we have, uh, we have 30 people in our, uh, in our center who are all now working from home. And I'm interacting with them every day with their, their, kids, their kids and their dogs and their plants and everything else in the background. Uh, and sometimes they're not in the background. Uh, yesterday we had, a, we had a, one of our many Zoom meetings and, uh, and I saw Spider-Man. Uh, and uh, you know, that's, that's just now the, uh, the new normal is that uh, you, know, you have to understand <laughs> that people have their kids. That was a four-year-old Spider-Man running around in the background. Um, so um, the, my observations are, first of all, uh, give people more latitude than you might be used to. People, especially who are working from home with kids, they're already experiencing a lot of other stressors in their lives, and uh, and they need um, they need to be in employment situations where we're prepared to say we understand that you may not be able to focus 100% on what you're doing here and now on the job. You may not have the childcare, you may not have uh, the the space, the arrangements to be able to act like you're on the job uh, without having kids in the background. Um, we cope with a lot of other distractions in our jobs every day. When we're in the office, we have a new set of, uh, of, of challenges when we have our kids at home. Uh, what I'm seeing people do is um, having more, giving, giving them more flexible work hours. So uh, I have a couple of people who say, you know what? Um, during the, the usual business hours, I have trouble with um, um, being available to work on projects, but the kids go down for a nap, and that's my prime time. And the evenings, I can, I can work all through the evening. I can get up early. So, uh, so giving people the latitude um, that they need um, to work with their situation. As an employer, technically, I can't, you know, HR will tell you, I can't ask you, you know, what's going on in the background, uh, you know, what, what's, you know, you know how, are you, how are you coping with your kids, et cetera, but what I can do, <laughs> right? But what? But until until Spider Man goes through, but yeah. what I can do is you know is to ask, well, what kind of accommodations do we need to make for you to be able to be productive at home? And uh, that's the start of the conversation. Um, so uh, so being empathetic and being open to people coming up with their their different uh, arrangements, um, and I also think um, setting realistic goals uh, with uh, very specific check ins. So. Um, people aren't going to make all their goals, but we're going to, you know, be be clear about setting goals. Uh, having clear vision and clear direction for people at this time is probably really important. And then having them uh, work with you to figure out how they're going to be able to accomplish those uh, or modify them because of the demands they have with uh, with kids in the background, for example. Sure. So now that we're, you know, now that we're limited to electronic interactions. Uh, how do we stay feeling connected with our teams when, you know, this is as close to face-to-face -face as we can get for the moment? Yeah, I think that there are different ways of doing that. And we're seeing some very creative solutions um, being used. Uh, one of them is uh, exactly what we're doing now. We are getting some face-to-face -face time. It's not the same as if I were in the room with you in person. Uh, in some ways, it's better. In some ways, it's, uh, it's worse. But it's what it is for now. Um, uh, I, I just want to mention that we're not at this point prohibited from seeing people in person. Uh, we would have to be six feet apart at least, at least for now. 
and we can be out uh, in, a, in a public space, such as a park or in a parkway. So if you're in proximity to people, you still can actually see people. You just can't get any closer than that. Um, uh, phone uh, might, in some cases, be a better option when, our, when we're starting to have eye fatigue from staring at computers all day. So, um, but uh, but I, I think that for now, um, what I'm seeing people do if, they're, if they are home alone and very isolated, they're opting to uh, do uh, more Zoom meetings or other kinds of video platform meetings. Uh, some of them are even choosing, sorry. Speaking of which, that was a, that was a FaceTime request uh, coming in. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, so they're, you know, so the people who feel more isolated and more lonely by working at home uh, are opting sometimes to even uh, just do a Zoom meeting where just having some of their coworkers on the screen with them is helping. Um, uh, using instant apps like Slack, for example, where people can on the side be having a chat going on projects that they're working on together during the day. Uh, those kinds of uh, tools can be really helpful for helping to reduce some of the distance. So you mentioned all these platforms, Zoom and others. Uh, when, we, when we video conference in a work setting, do we need to wear pants? I feel like this is a really burning question. <laughs> here's my here's my suggestion. Uh, it, it depends on your job description, I suppose. But I think generally, um, generally pants or uh, no. Here's my here's my main point. Uh, uh, this is a good time to maintain routines. And if your routine is to get up in the morning, exercise, uh, shower, put on your work clothes, and go to work. That is a pattern that uh, I strongly encourage people to maintain. It's not a time to um, be working in your PJs. It's a time to continue to focus on having a structured day to the extent you can. Now, we already talked about how you know, it has to be structured differently because you have maybe kids running around, et cetera. But for the time that you're focused on work, it's better for you to, um, to, to dress like you're going to work and I think it's just a good habit. Sure. So pants then is the is your consent. <laughs> uh, the short answer is uh, yeah, probably uh, dress dress the way that you would if you're going into the office. By the way, uh, shoes are good too because I want you getting up and moving around. Uh, right. don't just sit there and stare at a screen. You you need to be uh, you know, you can you can take a, a meeting on a phone and go for a, a walk on on the nearest parkway or in the nearest park or even standing outside for a little bit, getting that sunshine, getting up on your feet, changing positions is really important. All right, pants and shoes, you, you drive a hard bar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, there's also been a very rapid switch for educators who are trying to very quickly convert to virtual learning. Uh, so what advice do you have for them? And do you feel that this is gonna make a permanent impact kind of a turning point on how higher education is delivered into the future. Yeah, I've been teaching in the Colorado School of Public Health for 15 years, and, and I taught in the School of Medicine before that. Uh, and we've been uh, gradually already moving to, um, to more e-learning, more online learning, which has its strengths and its weaknesses for sure. Uh, is it here to stay? Absolutely. We're already having increased demand for that from our students uh, because they want the flexibility uh, that they get from e-learning. Uh, do we get the same quality of, of education? Um, that's an arguable point. 
Um, the, uh, the strategies, um, though, that I think improve the odds of people getting a good educational experience with e-learning is for those of us who are the educators to become really facile with the tools that are out there. And there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people who can uh, teach you. There's a lot of online tutorials. This is a time where many people have had to switch over. Many professors uh, I know have had to switch over pretty quickly. But taking the, the time after this to settle into what are the best tools for you to use to be the, the best educator, uh, this is a time to accept that this is the way of the future and to get good at it. And there, there are a lot of, um, of there are a lot of uh, tools out there and a lot of ways of learning that. Um, I like going to my colleagues who I think are good at it and learning from them. <laughs> Uh, and I, I've been doing e, you know, uh, online education for about a decade, and, uh, and you know, every day there's some new way of improving your engagement with your students. It's, it's working pretty well, but it definitely takes a lot of practice and takes some time. Sure. So my last question for you is that I, something I've noticed when I work from home is that it's really easy to let your workday bleed into your home life. You know, you finish dinner, pick up your laptop, and just keep going. So there's not much of a division, right? When work happens at home, work and home become kind of intermingled. So how do you how do you maintain healthy boundaries there? Yeah, I think everybody has their own strategies for how to do that. And, and I know a lot of people who aren't very good at it, but I'll tell you uh, some, some uh, general recommendations. One is to prioritize your downtime. You need the recharge. You may think that you can keep going, and that it's okay to have work inserting itself into the rest of your life all the time. But in fact, the quality of your work suffers when you do that. And that's before we had uh, a COVID epidemic, um, people's uh, level of distraction um, by work intruding on their off time uh, was, uh, was already a problem. Um, so, so prioritizing downtime, um, uh, setting boundaries, uh, uh, if you're if you have family members, if you have uh, a spouse or uh, or, uh, or or kids, um, you know, having schedules and then uh, having them help you hold to those uh, is really another way that you can do that. If you can set work hours, set work hours. Um, I strongly advise uh, against uh, emailing and texting people in off hours and discouraging them from doing the same. Yes, there are deadline pressures sometimes, and you have to do that. But uh, having other people respect boundaries is also uh, very helpful. I want to mention that in 2016, um, uh, Cal Newport, uh, who's a, a professor at, I think he's at Georgetown, uh, published a really uh, excellent book called Deep Work. And, uh, and if you haven't read that, um, or if you have read it, reread it, um, because uh, it's a book that lays out the strategies for us being able to structure our time so that there's the shallow work that we think we have to do. That's answering the emails. That's responding to the texts. You know, that's all that, all that sort of, um, all that small incremental work that we do all day long. And then there's the deep work, the stuff that requires concentration and, 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 you know, really taking focused cognitive energy and, and, and getting something really significant done. Maybe it's writing a proposal or writing a grant or writing a manuscript or, or editing a journal, whatever that might be in your job, you know what the deep work is you need to do. Right now we're so distracted and we're so chopped up 
whether in our quote off time or our on the clock time, that the deep work is not getting done. So uh, I, I really recommend that book to people and, uh, and to think about how you can be creating blocks of time that are protected for deep work and the blocks of time that you uh, sacrifice to the shallow work, which is really not very productive work. Answering emails should not be considered a measure of productivity. Um, <laughs> and if you choose to do it, um, uh, you know, it, during the night, because during the day you now have to have kid responsibilities because of the uh, the, the epidemic. Um, wherever you do that, uh, you know, setting yourself a schedule where you set aside the blocks that it takes to do the the, the deep, important cognitive load work that you're meant to do. Definitely. Well, I think that's all I have for you. Uh, Dr. Newman, next Monday is recording a webinar aimed at educating workers on managing stress and fatigue in the time of COVID-19. So we'll put the link in the podcast page. So Dr. Newman, thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us today. Shauna, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to do this with you. <laughs>